0: If you grew up in the kind of Christianity that I did, you probably have been warned about the slippery slope. It's what happens when you kiss a girl or have a drink or any other unapproved actions because we all know where that leads, right? But the slippery slope comes the most into play in the area of beliefs. If you question a doctrine or a so-called biblical principle, you start sliding, and pretty soon you're out of control, slipping away to your doom. Well, I'm here to tell you that I've taken that road, and the slippery slope is not that bad. In fact, at the bottom, I found God of all things. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual but Rather Uncertain. So welcome to season four. I cannot believe we've made it this far. I really thought I would run out of things to talk about long before this. But I guess my questions and doubts just keep coming. And so the podcast just keeps coming. But just a little bit of housekeeping before we get into all this. I'm going to start doing a bit of black and white content this season. Sometimes I have like short thoughts I would love to share or a book recommendation or a book review or other blogs that I'm reading, things that don't really fit into the podcast format. So I'm going to start communicating with email on a semi-regular basis, basically when I have something to write about. I'll put a link below that you can use to sign up for that. There's no cost, no strings attached, and you can unsubscribe at any time. During the break from the podcast, I recorded nine different Enneagram Mindful Meditations. They're on my webpage, which is skipcollins.com, but you need to become a member to access them. Don't worry, they are free. You just need to create a username and a password. I'll put that link below as well. There are also other mindful meditations as well as some Letzio Divina, things that you can use for your own spiritual journey. I hope they help you. Finally, if you haven't checked out my Patreon page yet, the beginning of season four would be a great time. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. Okay, enough of the commercials. Recently, I've been asked a few times about my own story of deconstruction, especially people that have known me for a while. It's like, so Skip, how in the world did you get here? So I thought that would be a good place to start season four. I use the word deconstruction cautiously because it's becoming such a trendy word these days, and I'm afraid it might lose its impact. So let me begin by defining the word so we're all talking about the same thing. In my view, deconstruction is a journey more than a destination. But the scary thing about this journey is you don't really know what the destination is. You really have no idea where it will end up. Deconstruction is always about questions and doubt. Sometimes those questions come because of something you have read or studied. Other times they come because of things you see around you. For example, a religious leader that you have had deep respect for has some kind of deep moral failure, and it drives you, whether you like it or not, to doubt and to wonder if everything they taught was a lie. Or maybe you look around you at the environment, and you see humanity basically destroying the world around us. And when the church doesn't seem that interested, you begin to question and doubt. Another one I've heard over and over again is when a person that you love comes out as queer. This person you know and love isn't some kind of deviant pervert. And you start to question your community's beliefs, and your community stance against your friend. In the intro, I joked about the slippery slope, but the truth is that deconstruction is a bit like that. You start to ask one question that leads to another, and then to another, and suddenly you're on this journey to which there is no turning back. Once you have seen it, You can't unsee it no matter how hard you try. Some people talk about, you know, faith being in two stages. There's deconstruction and reconstruction. Richard Rohr speaks of the three stages of faith or of spirituality. He talks about order, disorder, and reorder. In Brian McLaren's latest book, which is called Faith After Doubt, that I highly recommend, by the way, he breaks it down further into four stages of faith, and I found this incredibly helpful. First, there is simplicity. That's stage one. Everything is black and white in stage one. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. But then stage two, he calls pragmatism or independence. We move away from the simplicity and we ask the question, is what I believe successful? Is it making a difference in the world around me? Then he calls stage three, the perplexity stage, which is a difficult time for so many because by now, you actually have let go of so much, maybe most of what you believe. You just can't buy into that system anymore, but you also don't have much to hang on to. Then finally there's stage four. He calls that the harmony stage. McLaren says that in stage four, we come to terms with the idea that the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. As I read this book, I could see myself in all of those stages. Well, much less in stage four than the other three. I think that I do dip my toe into stage four once in a while, but probably I'm mostly in stage three right now. But I shared all of that to say this. McLaren says that the transition between each stage or the driving force between the stages is doubt. It's doubt and questions that move me, that drive me forward. So, That is a long introduction, so let me get to my story. I I don't share this somehow to say that I have arrived. And I'm certainly not suggesting that my journey will look anything like yours or that it should. I have gotten much more wrong than I've gotten right. I have hurt people along the way and I've had to apologize more times than I care to remember. So my story is anything but the roadmap. But I think this journey for me began in December of 1991 around my parents' dining room table in Tinley Park, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. It was our first visit back to the States since coming to South Africa. Before that time, I don't really remember doubting or questioning anything when it comes to my faith. I pretty much believed everything that I had always been taught. Definitely stage one simplicity. I think that I do need to add here, because this is important, that I think the reason I never seemed to question things was because of the consistency of my parents. They were absolutely committed to the message and to their calling, and that solid heritage made life seem very black and white to me. In some ways, as I look back, it was a golden time in terms of belief. It was simple. But on this particular night, my mom's brother, Jim, was there. Uncle Jimmy, we used to call him when we were little, was a major influence in my life, both as a child and as an adult. We spent quite a bit of time together before this and after this and really up until the time he passed away a couple of years ago. Just before this time, Jim had converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. He grew up as an assembly of God. He he went to a very charismatic Bible college. And now he was this full-on Orthodox. I was quite intrigued. But what was really hard to deny was that his conversion to Orthodoxy had a major impact on the way he lived. When my wife Sheila met him when we were first dating, she asked me, is Jim a Christian? But now, after converting to orthodoxy, everything in his life was radically transformed. That night, the family sat down for dinner around six, and we didn't stop talking about the theology of orthodoxy until three in the morning. It was the first time I had ever heard that there was another way to believe. It was the first time I ever realized that there were different views on thoughts, on things like prayer or conversion or the death of Christ. Views that were not held by heretics, but by God-loving, smart, educated people. After that conversation, I read lots of books, supplied by Jim, of course, and learned all that I could about orthodoxy. Back in South Africa, I was working with Youth for Christ here in Durban. There were a few of us, Keith Coates, Barry Bramley, and I for the most part, that would meet outside the office about once a week for breakfast and talk about theology. I would share some of these new Orthodox view. We would debate things that we had believed for all of our lives. No topic was out of bounds in these discussions. I don't know about Keith and Barry, but I look back on those times and I don't think I've enjoyed any kind of regular group discussions as much as I did those. But more importantly, It was an absolutely critical part of my own journey. Suddenly there was a new way of seeing things. If I was on a slippery slope, it was great. I suppose it was during those important years in YFC that I began to move out of simplicity stage one and into stage two pragmatism. I left YFC after eight years and went to work as the worship pastor at Westville Baptist Church here in Durban. I absolutely loved my years at Westville. I've told this story before, but I think it's important to repeat here. During those years, I studied theology through Baptist Theological Seminary. Here in South Africa, they were up in Johannesburg. In one of my classes, I was told that I had to read the Bible through cover to cover in what I seem to remember was two weeks. It might have been three weeks, but either way, it was a mammoth task every day i would read from eight in the morning till five i went through a heck of a lot of coffee in those weeks by the time i got to the end of the old testament i was literally in a real crisis of faith i didn't call it that at the time but i was more confused about my faith and about my calling and about my vocation that I had ever been. I was so sick and tired of reading about violence and war and God condemning people and God commanding genocide and innocent lives being snuffed out, women and children, everybody. I didn't know what the heck to do with all of that. And my tradition didn't have any good answers. The basic thought was, well, that's just part of God that we really don't understand. And so the bottom line is, just be afraid. Be very afraid. Then I started reading the New Testament. It felt so good. What a relief. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've been driving for like 15 hours straight and then you stop and you rub your eyes and it's like, ah. Oh. the New Testament was like that. Now, instead of reading about war and death and genocide, I'm reading about a loving God who came to sacrifice himself, a God who weeps, a God who washes feet, a God who radically forgives. What a change. And I really didn't know what to do with all that was going on inside of me. Sometimes I would dare to share my doubts with other Christians or even other pastors, and they would just look at me like they didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So basically, I just put my doubt into the sin category. You know, like Paul talks about in Romans, he says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. It was was like that. It's like that was doubt for me. It was like a bit of a step back into stage one, because in stage one, doubt is usually sin. Or at the very least, it's something to be avoided at all cost. And I just had to have more faith. Because doubt was the opposite of faith. And without faith, you can't please God. So I just did everything I could to put that aside and to please God. But the confusion for me was that my feet were definitely planted in stage 2 pragmatism. I spoke about engaging the culture. I spoke about changing the world. The church was growing, and we were having a blast. Our Sunday evening services were packed with about 600 people, probably half of which were young adults. We usually had to bring extra chairs in. The truth is, however, that my preaching was still pretty much stuck in stage one. I was studying theology, which was definitely stage one theology to reinforce that. But what they were teaching me was, the, for the most part, what I always believed. And so it was like comfortable, it was safe. And to be honest, who had time to rethink everything they always believed? I mean, the train was moving and it was all we could do to keep up and there really was no reason to think everything through because this was working until it didn't. Deconstruction is always messy, and it's rarely easy. I can't say for sure that it's harder deconstructing while in vocational ministry, but it sure seems that way to me. At least I really struggled, and I didn't always do it that well. My struggle was ugly. There are a couple of examples that come to mind that were really defining moments in the journey at this time. The first one came when I preached a sermon based on a movie. It was not normal procedure at a Baptist church, but hey, I was trying to change the world and to engage the culture, so what better way than through a movie? So I picked this musical that nobody really knew but that I loved. I, it's it's called Rent. I know I've talked about it before here. In the movie, there's a relationship between two men. I didn't actually know what to do with that at the time because the film made this relationship seem quite beautiful, actually, and very normal. So So I made this comment in my introduction. I said something like, I really enjoyed this film, but it's kind of dangerous because it normalizes gay relationships. Now back in 2000, that was a very normal kind of thing to say in church. After the service, I was standing at the door shaking hands, like you do in a Baptist church, and a guy comes by, I put out my hand to shake his, but he didn't put his hand back out in return like you normally would. He just said to me, I'm one of those dangerous people and I'm never coming back here again. My stage one dualistic simple theology just bumped up against my stage two pragmatism and I did not know what to do. I really was literally crushed. I wanted to shout, no, no, no! But I just stood there. I don't even remember what I said, or if I said anything. But I never saw that young man again. And it deeply affected me. I had no idea how to process it. But it certainly moved my deconstruction a little further down the road. The other example of my incredibly messy deconstruction during this time comes in the area of church leadership. Those of you that know me, you know I'm a pretty outspoken guy. I'm not good at keeping my thoughts and opinions to myself. My wife always tells me that I love my own opinions. And she's right, it's true. So more often than not, I butted heads with leaders and elders in the church. I was critical and harsh. I wanted to pretty much abandon everything that didn't work in my opinion. I was called out by the leaders more than once, but I'm not a very quick learner. And eventually, everything kind of blew up. My world was shattered. My pragmatic view of faith was in pieces. See, that's the thing about stage two. Everything is great until it isn't. And those are the moments that propel you forward and they are difficult and they are messy and they are even incredibly dark sometimes. About eight months later, I joined Grace Family Church But I felt like during my time I had rebuilt my stage two pragmatic faith, and so now I was off to the races. It was in the last few years of Grace, though, that I started reading and really engaging with authors that spoke of a different kind of theology, a different way to see things people like Rob Bell and Richard Rohr and Greg Boyd and Pete Enns and Brian McLaren, all people that I've spoken about before, they began to open my eyes to see differently, to see more, to see beyond anything I had seen before. I'm incredibly grateful for the leadership at Grace who allowed me to grow and to question and to doubt. Nobody ever set me right or tried to change my point of view. Not that they always agreed, because usually they didn't. But they did it in a way that valued my thinking and valued my process. And I will forever be in their debt. By the last few years I was at Grace, I was preaching a lot. And I was really working hard to be authentic to where I was and what was going on inside of me and changes that were happening in what I believed, but at the same time, to be faithful to the vision and the beliefs of Grace Family Church. But it became more difficult as time went on. For me, it was one of the factors that led to my retirement and to start this podcast. I felt like I still had something to say that I couldn't say from the platform of Grace Family Church. It would not be fair to the leadership, nor would it have been fair to the congregation. It was almost two years ago now that I've launched this podcast, and I cannot begin to tell you how much I've grown and moved forward in that time. The truth is that almost everything I used to believe has been turned upside down and spilled out. That feeling is scary, sometimes lonely, confusing, but invigorating all at the same time. But I cannot tell you how grateful I am for everything that has gone before. See, in that simple faith of stage one, I learned about right and wrong. I saw relentless faithfulness modeled to be by, by my parents. I learned the importance of study and growth. I learned that I was loved by Jesus, no matter what. In stage two, I learned that my actions matter. My words matter. I learned how to work hard within a community toward a common goal. I learned that I was part of a bigger story and that I had a role to play in that story. And now I'm learning to slow down. I'm learning just to be. The practice of my faith looks very different than it used to but I'm feeling more connected to God and more connected to myself than I ever have. It's not been an easy journey. It's been dark at times. It's been very messy most of the time, but it's been an adventure. But the journey continues. It is far from over for me. I'm continuing to move forward because, hey, if you're not dead, you're not done. Have a great day. Shalom.